Julio Gomez is not your average thought leader. As newly anointed evangelist at High Note, an emerging fintech in the cards and digital payment space that has raised 90 million in venture capital, Julio is focused on sharing best and brightest insights with his firm's target market, digital first organizations seeking to more easily issue and process payments that accelerate business growth and profitability. I met Julio at a digital economy conference sponsored by Boston University back in 1996. He had recently co-founded Gomez Advisors, later known as Gomez Inc., a breakthrough e-commerce market research firm that was known as the dot-com that ranks the dot-coms. But first, a quick disclaimer. I was so taken with Julio and his business plan that I joined on as editorial director. Prior to starting Gomez, Julio was a financial services industry analyst at Forrester, and before that worked in investment banking. Following Gomez, he led IDC's financial services research practice, drove client engagement, strategy, business, and solution development, as well as thought leadership at Knowledgent, an information management firm now owned by Accenture, and ran financial services in the Americas for Splunk, a data services provider, among other things. So let's start with some basics. Uh, given your background and experience in the analyst community, how would you define thought leadership? Well, actually, before you go on, I just need to address one thing uh, in the intro, uh, or actually before I uh, before I, I say anything that uh, you know, I'm here as a private citizen uh, and not as a representative of High Note, for I am a consultant, and I'm very excited to to go through some of these topics with you. But uh, these represent my own opinions. Very well. So, given your background and experience in the analyst community. How would you define thought leadership, a term which is often thrown around loosely and understood typically from the eyes of the beholder? Yeah, well, you're right about that. The term is uh, is thrown about a lot. I think as far as defining it, it's one of those terms that really defines itself, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, it's all about you know, leading thinking, how people think. And uh, because of that, it's you know very challenging and rewarding, and and it's used in very different ways. Uh, but at its core, what you're trying to do is take an take an idea, right? It starts with an idea that maybe is not very well known, um, maybe is not even shared by a lot of folks, might be controversial, but it is an idea that through communication you ultimately want to turn it into a trend, right? And so, and there's another term that's very charged, right? A trend, which might have a negative connotation, but it is what you want. You want to move the direction of thought through your communications. So, um, I mean, that, that's what it is to me. It's, it's, it's a very big challenge and it's of greatest value when it might have the most impact uh, to the largest segments of society. So, you know, let me just leave it at that. Sure. So timing is everything, so to speak. You know, you got big ideas, but you don't have an audience or really know what it is you want to own. Maybe just a lot of words and not a lot of impact. So you have to really think about how you position yourself so that whatever your big ideas are, bring eminence to you and your firm. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's, and there, of course, there are thought leaders that, uh, are not affiliated with firms. They are simply there to, to rack their brains and look at society and look at the economy and look at uh, whatever factors they stimulate their thinking to come up with something that might change the world. So, but 
you know, regardless of affiliation, that is the challenge is to change the world. And, and it comes at, and the world can be of different sizes, right? My world and your world might be very, very different in very different places, very different scale. Uh, the opportunities may be very different, but the challenge is still the same, which is to bring people along with uh, and, and expose them to a new way of thinking. Yeah, and given the world as it currently stands and the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation, how can thought leadership function as a, a beacon shining somewhat virtuously on an individual or a company? And conversely, what, at what point does thought leadership evangelism come off as a bit self-serving or even crass, maybe even unbecoming? Yeah, um, there's a lot of that, isn't there? So, Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I, I suppose that in terms of being virtuous, you know, there's that whole thing of some truths are self-evident, right? Is that the Declaration of Independence, right? That's right. So yeah. Some truths are self-evident, and and that's where that's where the virtue is is in communicating truths. So there needs to be real honesty behind the thoughts that you are espousing. Uh, there has to be real rigor in the logic of what you are putting out there in terms of what you are proposing to either happen or proposing will happen, and these things come through. It's a uh, you know the people who are ostensibly consuming thought leadership are themselves, you know, capable of analysis and, and of intellectual rigor. So you have to stand up to that. You're not going to achieve that level of um, virtue as you describe it without it. So no alternative facts and no underestimating the audience, huh? Right. I mean, you can, you can have them and they will, they will fool some of the people some of the time. Uh, I'm sadly true. Yeah, and then in terms of the other side of that coin in your question, which is, um, at what point do you are are you basically reduced to a shill? I mean, I think again that becomes self-evident too, doesn't it? Um, and if it doesn't if it doesn't ring true and if it doesn't stand up to to rigors of analysis, then then that will come through. So that so these things actually seem to me uh, work themselves out naturally. Very true. Very good. How would you distinguish thought leadership from, say, traditional content marketing? And how closely does effective thought leadership need to align with the firm's messaging and positioning? Where can it or should it intersect with marketing? And that's a big challenge for a lot of companies because yeah. they want to go out and, and, and proselytize and, and sell. But sometimes, to your point, if they're not speaking truth to power, they may not necessarily get their message heard. Right. It's interesting. And just as you as you were putting that question to me, uh, what came to mind for me was a, a spectrum that goes from thought leadership to all the way over to how to, and in the middle is education. So you kind of slide the bar along there when in terms of what you are creating in terms of content marketing, it seems to me, right? Thought leadership is not content marketing. Thought leadership is an important part of content marketing for a, for a well-crafted strategy. And, and, and it's also, it's just as, it, it's very closely tied to the brand challenges for marketers, right? So a lot of marketers are, are, are consumed with and challenged by how to build their brand and how to build that trust relationship with their customers and how to be the, the, the brown cow and the black herd all those things that are tied up in brand challenges and thought leadership 
increasingly is an important component of that. And you can do that and, and that can fit into your content marketing strategy, as does education. So your thought, your thought leadership is going to change the world, but your education might just be explaining things, right? And there's a, that's a huge part of, uh, of content marketing so that when people are doing their research and trying to learn, they find you and you educate them and you build your brand that way as well. And then finally, on the how-to side, the, the equivalent of the, uh, of the YouTube that I go to to fix my faucet. Right, so there are so there's a there, that is an important element of content marketing as well for companies. How to do the things you already know you're trying to do. Let me help you with that. So it's a continuum. There are various levels of content. You've got to adjust dials to get your message heard and make sure you reach the right audience with the right content, the right time, the right place. And it's not one size fits all. A lot of people I know. In, in my past, uh, they say, oh, you're a writer. Can you write an ad or can you write some web copy? It's like, well, no, I'm trained as a journalist. I can do thought leadership writing, but I'm not an ad co copywriter. Right. Well, you've come to the wrong guy because I feel like I could do it all. So. Well, <laughs> and I know you can having worked with you. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, yeah, we, we chatted a little bit about um, alternative careers, you know, you and I. Uh, have uh, had lots of conversations over the years and ad copywriter happens to have been one that I would have loved that I could really see myself doing uh, even before Mad Men. <laughs> but you would there's have been some, good at it. Yeah. Something very satisfying in the turning of a phrase for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what are the tricks of the trade that you've learned over the years that have allowed you to truly differentiate yourself and whatever firm you're working at, if you wanted to maybe start with your days at Forrester or what you did at IDC, how did you really help create the perception that not only did you have great ideas and thoughts, but you were able to actually deliver them in a way that had impact and could change the world to your point? Yeah, you know, some of them are not, there are lots of tricks of the trade. I mean, especially when you talk about in the analyst, in the analyst community, there's, um, there is a stirring of the pot element that is essential to being successful in that role. Um, challenging norms. Uh, to be a provocateur, right? Quite so, <laughs> quite so. Um, and that requires, and that, then you start to get into <laughs> psychoanalysis of, of analysts, but like, yeah, there's a certain amount of bravado that's required to, to pull that off. And there's a certain set of ego um, conditions that are required to pull that off as well. So. But it all stems from confidence and confidence and confidence in your ideas. And almost like what we were talking about at the beginning with the self-evident truths, you know, an analyst or thought leader that has the bravado without the rigor of the analysis, without the without the ability to to communicate thoughts that resonate quickly come across as a charlatan and, uh, and not succeed in that career. So you need both. I mean, you need to have your strong ideas and strong communication skills, and then you have to have the confidence to, to I'm not gonna say speak truth to power, but to, you have to have the confidence to, to, to shout it from the mountaintops. Absolutely. So how did you find your voice? And how did you find the topics that best conveyed your best and brightest? I'm sure, you know, those early days of, of e-commerce, I mean, it was chaotic, it was unclear, there was not a straight line to success. It was a very ambiguous time. Sure. Um, for me, certainly. And I would think for most people that cut through the noise, I think 
they do see certain things with the, with with clarity. Um, and if you see certain things with clarity in areas that are ambiguous, then a lot of people want to know what you have to say. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to hear you articulate that. Uh, a lot of what made Gomez successful is that you know, e-commerce was the Wild West. That was the term that people always used to refer to e-commerce as. And the names were not well known. I mean, online brokerage was, you know, K. Offhauser and, um, and Lombard Securities and, you know, National Discount Brokers was actually fairly well known. The names that, that people don't know today. Uh, but those were the ones that were associated with online brokerage. So with no history there, consumers were really looking for someone to make some sense from this chaos. And uh, that, you know, we saw it clearly because we put in the time, we developed criteria as a, a what to, how we could measure quality in the internet delivery of services. And we laid it out there and people were able to easily consume it and, uh, and derive value from it. So seeing clarity in areas of chaos is, uh, is, is a recipe for success in that sense. So therefore, you know, given your background in the analyst community and founding of uh, Gomez, primary research plays an important role in all of this in terms of yeah. determining what it is you should be focused on and having the facts, figures, and evidence to demonstrate it. Yeah. I mean, since my Forrester days, I, uh, and that's where I really first came to appreciate the value of primary research and frankly, I've had a hard time getting a lot of people on board to put in that kind of work in subsequent roles that I've had. Because it's hard. Um, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. And therefore, extremely valuable if you, can, uh, if you can execute on primary research and apply good analysis and then take that analysis and communicate it effectively in an easily consumable manner. I mean, that's, that's, that's a beautiful, I don't know if it's a virtuous circle, I guess, because you can come back and do it again, but it's a virtuous line, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, it's very powerful, and you know you you hear that that echoes to some terms that are often bandied about today, like data driven, you know, or fact based. Data driven, fact based. Uh, these are, in a sense, parts of uh, the um, the primary research universe. And when you started Gomez, I mean, there was really nobody trying to measure e-commerce effectiveness or the best practice not just in brokerage, but across many different industries. And your, your, your thought process there, if you can just kind of walk us through how you came up with the idea and then how you proliferated to, to the other industries beyond just uh, banking and financial services. Sure. Um, I was out for a drive, okay, as it turns out. People's best thinking happens that way, right? And uh, I stopped into the convenience store and I noticed the uh, US News and World Report uh, issue on universities, ranking the universities. And I picked it up because people love lists. It's just a fact of the matter, right? And so, um, and there were, there had been many lists out there uh, for online brokerage and maybe a couple of other e-commerce verticals, but they lacked that rigor. They were fairly superficial. Um, they, their criteria did not seem uh, substantial enough for what I was thinking, they were, in, in essence, they were more entertainment than the utility of it was for entertainment purposes for me, really. The U.S. News and World Report one got a little bit deeper into it, and that's when I the, the gears started turning in my head. I thought, well, gee, you know, why not have the definitive, the definitive measure of quality 
I, again, I use the term, the, the definitive measure of quality in the internet delivery of services, starting with online brokerage, and then we'll see where we go from there. And that's where the idea, that's how the idea started. And the 20 plus industries that we covered at the time, and each needing a scorecard and each needing a, an analyst to be able to decode what was going on and express it in a way that was meaningful, not just to the industry, but to consumers as well, looking to make smart choices. Yeah, it was it was highly valuable, both to the people that were doing it. I mean, I think all the employees at Gomez will look back on that time and say, you know what, I learned a lot. We were we were at the nexus of the information flow in e-commerce at its at its birth, uh, and and so we we bring we take from that you know tremendous experience that we carry through. Uh, it was of tremendous value to the consumers of it, whether they be consumers that were looking for e-commerce providers or the e-commerce providers themselves that were striving to you know distinguish themselves in a highly competitive environment, lacked accurate benchmarks against which to measure themselves and uh, also to help them make their budget decisions because not everyone has unlimited funds to do everything for all of their customers. And so given a framework to uh, in which they could prioritize their development for, uh, I think, is one of the greatest things that Gomez brought to the marketplace is that we help people organize their investments in, and really understand what it is that they were going to try to bring to the marketplace that would be valued by their customers. Absolutely. So, and of course, you know, as we talk about it, um, it's clear that the need for that actually diminished, right? Because it's not the Wild West anymore. You probably only have, you know, three or four you know, go-to e-commerce places. You've got your online brokerage by now. You've got your bank that you do online banking with. You've got your, you go, you got Amazon for everything else, right? Yeah. So it, it's not as chaotic an environment. Fortunately, Gomez uh, you know, pivoted and moved into performance monitoring uh, and uh, meeting, uh, measuring the speed and reliability of websites. Again, you know, we saw that, we talk about thought leadership and trends you saw that through the data that that was an important differentiator. Important differentiator. People it didn't matter if you had all the bells and whistles. If your website was slow, it was on to the next uh, online broker. You know, I need to get my trade executed when I want my trade executed. So, and through mergers and acquisitions and rebranding, you know, Gomez became what is now uh, industry leading APM firm Dynatrace. So that was a that was a great great move as well, uh, and and an area in which you know being able to see where the ball is going was was very very important absolutely yeah i mean we remember we used to say we were witnessing the first shots of the internet revolution at the old north bridge in concord massachusetts that's right where it all started absolutely so when it comes to thought leadership and we've talked a little bit about what works and what doesn't work and when you're looking at things and trying to take them in and, and try to really fly your analytical lens to what you're seeing can you remember like anything recently where you said, boy, that was just absolutely brilliant? And if so, what caught your attention, what your eye, your ear, your thinking? Or is there anything that you've seen lately that you say, what BS is this? What are these guys smoking? How'd they come up with that? Yeah, that one, that's that's a tough one. Um, I, I would have to say, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to point you to a very specific one. But what I can tell you is that going back a little bit to the theme of you know, chaos and making sense out of chaos, there is a lot of interesting thought leadership coming out in the crypto space. 
right? Blockchain, distributed ledger, decentralized finance. I mean, that it, it's a mess in a good way. Uh, very ripe for thought leadership. Uh, and there are, again, I can't point you to anything specific, but you know, in my travels, I've read very interesting things that have educated me and, and moved my thinking. Did you read uh, Don Tapscott's uh, Blockchain Revolution? No, maybe that. So there you we should go. Read, you should definitely read that. And that was written about five years ago, six years right. ago. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's thought leadership right there. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's for the other side of the coin. Let's see if I can rack my brain for something there. Stuff that's um, complete BS. <laughs> you know, it's funny. So many things there's, I don't know if it's because I'm constantly presented with it because of whatever algorithm Google and everyone else has for me, but I get, I mean, the, the investment stuff, there's a lot of investment stuff that, that I know that's not the same as, as crypto and blockchain at all, but it's sort of in the same space. There are as many uh, opinions that the market is going to shoot up as it is that it's going to crash, that gold is going to go fly, you know, that, so there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff that passes as research that you know and that is really just leading you to support a position in the market that that someone has. I mean, that, so that space is rife that kind of behavior. Absolutely, which kind of leads me to the next question with the proliferation of social media and so-called influencers who sometimes can be perceived as being thought leaders. It's, it's an interesting time. And how has social media changed the dynamics of thought leadership? Uh, clearly, it's a way to activate and amplify. But in very many times and cases, people look at a tweet or look at a post on LinkedIn and they see that as thought leadership. And maybe I'm, I'm old school, but that just doesn't have the substance. It may have the style and the sizzle, but not the meat to really convince me that an individual really has what it takes to be a thought leader. Yeah. Um... You know, I wrestle with this. I don't really wrestle might not be the right thing. It was I, I muse over it that very often influencers are not thought leaders. Okay. They don't really often move thinking. They are good audience generators. A percentage of it, a lot of times it's, and maybe it's because of my prejudice to the format that I think it takes to deliver true thought leadership, which is closer to long form, right? So retweeting someone and then putting one sentence in front of it may entertain your audience and, and may influence your audience, but I doubt that it would qualify as thought leadership in any in terms of anything that we have been talking about here today. Not to take anything away from them, why, why should an influencer be characterized as a, a thought leader? Do they really need to be? I don't, want, I don't want to argue that point, but I think the where that leaves us is that there are different formats for communication, and there are different consumers for the different format, right? right. So someone who is trying to make a decision about, a, who, who's trying to develop a strategy for a corporation is not going to be heavily informed by someone's tweets. Someone who is trying to make a multi-million dollar technology purchase is not going to be informed in any substantial sense by someone's tweets. So what are they going to be consuming? You know, they're going to be consuming some of the things on, you know, somewhere else. We've created another spectrum here, right? Long form versus short form. They're going to be going more towards the long form for their educational needs 
to inform their decisions with regards to strategy development and major purchases. So, so thought leadership can live potentially anywhere. I'm inclined, if, I ha if I'm pressed, to say that thought leadership might be best served defined as something that lives on the uh, longer form end of that. Right. And I don't want to make this a generational conversation. Yes, I don't want to invoke any stereotypes, but you know, we both I think have gray. Because that's both have right, gray. we're both gray beards. But uh, I think it's different strokes for different folks. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm more partial to longer form content because that's what I grew up with. But you know, I've gravitated towards blogs and shorter form transmedia content because, quite honestly, that's what people have the time for. That's what they have the, the stomach for. They they need uh, shorter, more snackable, more shareable stuff because. That's all they have the attention I the need to pay for. I need it. I, I'm not going to say I'm guilty of uh, you moving down the down the spectrum of uh, or over to this side of shorter form because it's. I don't feel guilty about it. It's very convenient for me to derive value with lower time investment. So I'm for it. It's just a, it's a matter of understanding the purpose of the of uh, the communication type, the communication length. The communication style, the purpose of those things, and and in, in terms of the audience and and what their desires and needs are, and and what's your approach when you're thinking about how you want to share a big idea? How do you conceive of it, and then figure out how to deliver it, activate it in your audience? Do you have a formula? Do you have a a game plan that you come up with, or is it more or less, uh, as I said, different strokes for different folks? Yeah, I think it's probably closer to the latter. I I don't pretend to have a methodology for big idea generation. <laughs> um, I think most people have really good ideas that come to them right. just from living. You know, you just walk around and you're interacting. I mean, if you're if you're present and you're attentive, uh, so, and that includes obviously in, in your professional life, right? So a lot of people have really good ideas about what's going on around them in their professional life. But just just as in business, it's not about good ideas. It's about good execution, right? There's a million good ideas out there. Show me one that you can execute well against and I'll invest in that, right? So that's the, you know, the VC mantra. It's not about the idea. It's about the ability to execute. And I think it's the same here in terms of, uh, you know, what you're asking about in terms of how do you do this? Um, it, so coming up with the idea, those things present themselves and then executing against it. That's where you could get into, you know, methodologies. I think you can start looking at you can start looking at impact uh, measuring impact. Is this something that's going to be impactful? And then you know how difficult is this? The classic two by two, right? Which is impact versus ability to execute. And so if it's a high impact idea that I can see, it's almost clear to me how to lay out the argument. That's what I'm going to gravitate towards in terms of what I want to you know write about or develop. Right, makes perfect sense. I know you don't want to talk specifics about what you guys are doing at High Note in terms of thought leadership, because you're just just out of the incubator, just uh, out of stealth mode. But are there some things you're seeing in the space that have caught your attention in terms of how organizations are trying to use thought leadership to be heard above the din? Yeah, I, I, and I don't think that, uh, and I think they're, they're fairly established. I mean, you brought up the term content marketing earlier. I think content marketing is at the center of uh, most marketing strategy and brand building. They're at the center of you know, social media strategy and social media brand building. And as we've discussed, 
they include you know, a wide variety of asset types from, from tweets to blogs, to fact sheets, to sales enablement materials, to presentations, to white papers, to, hey, to, to scripted voicemails to leave on, on, uh, in outreach calls to scripted messaging on inbound calls, to website information. I mean, all of this, it's all content. It's all content that has to hang together and has to feed the overall strategy of uh, you know, advancing, uh, building the brand and advancing the commercial activities of the company. Right. And if you generate a few leads opportunities that you convert into business, all the better. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think we, we, we can't, we can't end this conversation without acknowledging the fact that none of us are doing these jobs for our health. We're doing it because we, well, we like it, first of all, but also because it's, it's a, for a living. You're making a living doing it, right? So yeah, you're working. Uh, and, and the other thing is that no one is paying us because they admire us, <laughs> right? They're paying us because we can perform a very important function, a very important commercial function, right? So again, self-evident truths, put Pretty that true. out there. So I know we've covered a lot of material and I do appreciate your time, but I was, one last question. How do you see the thought leadership discipline evolving, not just in the fintech space that you're in today, but, but across the board? Yeah, well, I think uh, we've hinted at that in some of what we've talked about already, which is, I think the, I think the format of thought leadership needs to be evolved and uh, needs to evolve. And I think that the, the amount of time that it takes to communicate big ideas has to be reduced. So maybe it's not going to make it into Harvard Business Review, your thought leadership pieces that you're going to be doing going forward, right? Because we don't have the, that's a very particular audience. <laughs> but, the, as, but as we try to expand both the uh, delivery of thought leadership and the consumption of, uh, of thought leadership content, it's got to go shorter. So we need to, so there's, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity there to, to continue. And it's probably going to be blog length, right? So the evolution of blogs and I don't know where, this, where it's going to go. I mean, as, as I'm answering this question on the fly, I'm imagining that there are some really interesting things that you can do with blogs that take them to a new level of thought leadership. And I think that's a big idea. And now I'm going to go see if I can execute. On it. <laughs> that's great. You know, it is continuum. I think it is you know, warming people up, shorter form content, getting them interested in engaging with you and then getting the deeper dive with the longer form content. Hopefully that's fact-based. Uh, that, that actually conveys the best and brightest that individual has or a company has on a particular topic. Yeah, that's probably another thing that's here. And it's something that people are generally aware of, but probably there's room for, for evolution as well. And that's the pathways. So you, right, so you hook them with the thought leadership, then where do you want them to go? So making those journeys intentional and, and helping facilitate those journeys is is an area where you know more work can be done. We've done a lot of work with intentional pathways uh, with through websites, right? So there's been a lot of study there, a lot of user experience analysis. What was Jen Cardello when we need her, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They brought that to our thinking. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would love to see uh, come out of all of this is some sort of sensor where you could actually see not only that somebody is looking at content and reading it, but what they're really absorbing. So you know where to kind of take your next best action so you can actually engage them deeper and broader in a way that's going to really enthrall and build a relationship. Right. 
Well, that's science mean, fiction, but it'd be nice. Nah, well, I don't know. Have you seen what they're doing with the uh, smart eyeglasses? I mean, true. <laughs> don't they can true. follow your eyeballs and figure out what you're looking at and all that yeah. good stuff. So kinds of pixels on the screen. More to come well, on good. This has been that. great. Julio, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Julio's storied thought leadership journey from industry analyst to e-commerce guru to knowledge management caretaker to fintech evangelist has been wonderful to behold. His intuitive but rigorous approach converting big ideas into knowledge that can be clearly and effectively communicated, fortified by facts, figures, and evidence, reflects what the best of the best in our profession seek to accomplish opening eyes, ears, and eventually pocketbooks on new ways of thinking and doing, with a lofty goal, of course, of changing the world. Julio's take on the role of thought leader as one who challenges norms and stirs the pot, and who can make sense amid chaos and clarify the intricate amid ever-increasing complexity, is spot on from what I have seen in my 15 plus years creating and communicating thought leadership. In fact, these are some of the same principles that Julio applied at Gomez Inc. to help business leaders across industries organize their e-commerce strategies and prioritize their investments on products and services that would be highly valued by customers, and of course, profitable to create and deliver. Julio's take on the vital role of thought leadership in the content marketing mix, his views on social media influencers as trend spotters, not thought leaders, is informative. That's because most of the catchy posts offered up by social media influencers may attract eyeballs, but rarely move people to make big purchase decisions without deeper and more thoughtful insights. Julio's bias toward long-form thought leadership content, while acknowledging the role and growing importance of shorter-form content across the spectrum, consideration, and purchase, is telling since it reinforces the notion that thought leadership practitioners must develop content from their audience's perspective and make sure it's received as it is intended to reveal educational value and purpose. That can only happen if it's properly and effectively communicated, which is often signaled by format and the style of communication. The premise that not all big ideas are equally important is a critical takeaway. What is clearly important in Julio's mind is how executable an idea is, and if impact can be measured. His thoughts about intentional pathways is also interesting, since we can borrow from what many of us have learned in building modern websites that are persona-based, focused on best action, or task flow-oriented, and embody the best of design thinking. I learned a lot from Julio. I hope you have as well. Till next time, this is Alan Alper at Boudet Thought Leadership Partners wishing you a great day.